We had a great day. Kathy and I actually went for a long walk and we looked at the people up on those zip lines and all that. And, I did and it that's before. Cool. Huh? I, did, I did it before. I know, you have done it. What does that say about me? <laughs> um, we're going to talk about creative romance. And actually, this hits everybody. Sometimes when you talk about creative romance or you use the S word, sex, uh, it gets a little confusing because there are people in this room, about half of you, struggle with this issue in, in one way or another. Um, another quarter of you, you know, it's okay, and there's good and bad, and then a, a, another quarter say, you're doing fine. But the truth of the matter is, is that this is another part of intimacy that we hardly ever talk about from within the Christian point of view. Some of you, most of you don't know this, but one of my jobs, one of my main jobs is actually, and it was, you know, there was a season in my life where I'd speak to about a quarter of a million kids, and uh, I would speak on, on sexual purity and sexual integrity. And so I've been all over this world speaking on this subject, and the book Purity Code is a book that actually is probably the most used book in Christian circles for kids. It's a book written for kids on, on sexual purity. But in it, what I find is that there's lots of things that go on with this. And so as I speak to you on, uh, and Kathy comes up too, and we speak on, on creative romance, I realize that there's some things going on in your head that um, could be confusing. If you want to talk about later, let's, let's make sure we do. So a couple of Valentine's Days ago, um, I decided that I was not going to spend a bunch of money for Valentine's Day, so I was going to celebrate Valentine's Day on February 10th, okay? Because they, the prices get raised, and then they give you this crummy carnation, and it's $150 for the meal, that the same meal was, you know, I'm a good Scottish guy, Scotch-Irish, and so, you know, the meal that's 150 on the 10th is, you know, like $39, and I thought that was kind of expensive. So I went, I took Kathy to Tiamo. Now, none of you are impressed, but I just want you to know it's the most romantic Italian restaurant in Laguna Beach, California. Um, beautiful, incredible, okay? And so we went to Tiamo. You should be impressed. Thank you, thank you. I wrote her a card. I, w I went out and got a papyrus card, so it cost like $7.50. And then it was personal. So instead of none, of none of this happy Valentine's Day, I wrote a love note to her. And I also had been in Hawaii, and uh, she likes uh, the, what's the, what's the blue glass? Blue glass type stuff. Sea glass. Yeah, sea glass. And I had gotten her this sea glass thing, which didn't cost much, but I don't want to say in front of her how cheap it was. But um, at the ABC uh, discount <laughs> store, it's pretty cheap. No. But I'd gotten her this thing. So, I mean, I was going all out. And she says... Well, I didn't know we were celebrating Valentine's Day today, so I, you know, I don't have a card for you. I go, it doesn't matter. You know? So I was pretty impressed with myself. And we had a great time. And we won't talk about what happened afterwards, because we'll talk about that later. Not for us, but for you, what you can do. It was great, romantic, yeah. So on February 14th, I show up at my office, and some of the women are kind of talking about what they were going to do for Valentine's Day and whatnot. And they said, Jim, what are you going to do? I just walked in. I went, hey, you guys, how are you doing? And they go, what are you going to do for Valentine's Day? I said, I already did it. I went to Tiamo's. I, I wrote her a card. I gave her sea glass, necklace. They go, I know, but on Valentine's Day, what are you going to do? No, I celebrated Valentine's Day on the 10th. And they said, no, but what are you going to do today? And so I was like weirded out by that. So I walked into my office and my assistant, Cindy, who's like a great friend of, of uh, Kathy and she's a major part of our life and family. I said, Cindy, I mean, I went to Tiama. She goes, I know that was great. You did a great job for Valentine's Day. I go, what, am I supposed to do something else? And she goes, well, yeah. I mean, on Valentine's Day, I'm going, well, what do I do? She goes, well, you didn't give her any flowers, so get her flowers. I went, okay. 
So at five o'clock, I go to McCool's um, florist right by our house. And I walk in, and there are 20 men at McClure's Florist. It's a small florist, you know. And there are 20 men walking around dazed, okay? And they're probably dazed at the sticker price, not me. I walked right up, and I said, I'd like a dozen long stem roses. And so I had no, I'd never bought her long stem. Well, I bought her long stem roses in Ecuador for $2.50, but that's another story. So I get up there, and uh, she goes, okay. While she goes away to fix the roses, I'm looking at some roses that are about this high, and they're $38. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money for this. wonder what's special about those. I actually picked them up. Went, what, what, I mean, are these the African something-somethings because they cost $38? I mean, that's a lot of money. I paid $2.50 in Ecuador. I, I thought, I wonder what I'm going to pay here. I go, well, it's not going to be these fancy ones. So she comes out, she lays it down, and she goes, they're $78. Now, what's interesting, and this is the difference between a man and a woman. I mean, I already spent a lot of money on her, and a woman would probably go, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll not take that. I'll go with something else. I mean, they're better. I had already put my credit card out, so I'm like, okay, I'm in it for $78. So I buy the $78, and I'm like gagging at the price. And uh, I realized that the next day, those $78 flowers would be $15, and the $38 would be like you know, $9.99, but that's another story. So I go to the house, and Kathy is there, and there's a woman named Wendy who's a friend of hers, and Wendy had lost her husband, and, and Kathy very much is involved in her life and ministry. And so Wendy's sitting at the kitchen table, I think they're having tea or something, and I come in with this huge box. And Wendy, not Kathy, but Wendy, she's never seen a long stem flower rose thing, so Kathy hadn't, so she didn't even know what it was probably. But Wendy's like, oh my goodness, Jim. And you know, Kathy said you took her to Tiamo's, and you did this and this. You are amazing. So I'm like getting praise from Wendy, feeling really impressed with myself. And so I hand it to Kathy, and she's opening up, and she goes, well, Jim, we already celebrated Valentine's Day. I'm like, oh, man, I just spent $78. You need to, like, love this, right? So she takes them, and she goes, wow, I don't even know if I have a vase. And so she's looking at vases. I'm not paying attention because Wendy is, is just giving me great amount of praise. And out of the corner of my eye, I see Kathy with scissors, because we don't even have things to do. She is cutting my $78 roses to make them $38 roses that are going to be the $99 roses. And as she's cutting this thing, I go, stop. And she goes, what? What? I said, don't cut those roses. She goes, well, we don't have a vase for them. They're just beautiful. I love them. And she's totally innocent on this. And I said, no, stop. Honestly, I will go back to McCool's and buy a vase for this thing. At this point, I, am, I don't care. And she just went, oh, no, it's just fine. And she just cut my roses. $78 roses that went to 38 would be $9.99. Anyway, the, the moral of the, of the story is there is no moral to the story, but now you're going to hear from somebody who does silly things like that about romance. And I actually have a verse for you. And it's not a verse about romance. It's a verse about relationship, but it's actually found in Romans 12.10, and it says this. It's in your notes, too. Outdo one another in showing honor. And I'm convinced when it comes to romance that we make a mistake that we just don't spend time outdoing one another in showing honor. Kathy and I were talking to a couple who uh, had been donors. She's passed on now, but they'd been donors. They were beautiful people. They'd been married a long time. And I said, what's the secret to your marital success? They had done the 60-year thing. And she said, remember this? We were, we were at the montage. We are in this you know, beautiful room where I was speaking at something. And she said, well, when we got married, what did I say to you? Her name was Helen, his name was Lee. And he said, well, I remember you said, I'm going to outlove you every day of my life. And then he said, but you remember what I said to you? And they said, no, I'm going to outlove you. And they were kind of almost flirting with each other. But what they, what they did so well is they honored each other. And in that, I believe that honoring one another is one of the key issues of creative romance. I think we live by that verse 
We live by that verse, and we do better in every aspect. But as we talk about romance, let me get some things straight about romance and about sex. First of all, I'm going to be practical from the beginning. Sex is meant to be fun. Okay? Some people, that's not in their head. Sex is pleasurable. Sex is created by God. Sex is sacred. Sex is a form of communication. It is serious, and sex, believe it or not, takes work. I had no idea that sex took work. And I think it's important for us to know that at least half of the people in this room have a weird tape in their head because their parents said to them, if they even spoke to them about sex, don't do it because it's dirty, rotten, horrible, so save that dirty, rotten, horrible thing until you're married and then enjoy it. And we're supposed to turn on a dime on our honeymoon, and yet we've been told it was horrible and rotten, or no one spoke to us. Here, watch this. How many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education from your parents when you were growing up? Put your hands up. One. No, you changed your mind. Two, <laughs> you're itching your armpit. I thought you said three. So three people. You guys need to come to like a sex conference here. Dave, next year, do a sex conference for these people. You can, you can lead it because you're an authority. So three of you. Now, here's the interesting side. All studies show, both liberal, conservative, Christian, non-Christian, that the more positive value-centered sex education kids receive from home, the less promiscuous and less confused they'll be. So what that says is, you've all figured it out, you're married, but what that says is, because your parents didn't talk about it, or because your parents said, don't do it, and then silence, you might have some weird tapes in your head. And we bring that into the bedroom, we bring it into our marriages, and yet we don't even know we're bringing that. Some of us bring baggage, past relationships, you know, other types of things, maybe even an addiction or two. But for all of us, we sometimes bring this silence that we didn't hear about it from our parents, say. And so I spend a lot of time trying to help parents speak to their kids about this because I hope the next generation will be healthier sexually. So much so that, that I said something here that, that don't miss. The Bible is very, speaks a lot about sex, believe it or not and about relationships. And in fact, I believe, and a Pope, uh, Pope John said this, that we need a healthy theology of sexuality. And I don't think we, and I realize there's some Catholics in here, some great folks who have some Catholic background, but I don't think the Catholics have this either, but I don't think we who are you know, Protestant or evangelical or whatever, I don't think we have much of a theology of healthy sexuality. So I'm going to give you it very quickly before we move into the rest of this thing. Number one, God created sex. That's found in Genesis 1 and 2. It's not in your notes here. God created sex. And when he created sex, he didn't say it was good. In fact, he said it was good when the ground was created, form was created, when stars were created, birds, all that. But when he created male and female, he said it's very good. The Hebrew word is very close to awesome. They didn't use the word awesome back then. Um, but it's, 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 it's great. And remember I talked about created, I said sex is fun, sex is pleasurable. God could have used the term sex in a different way, but he actually created pleasure. Sex is meant to be pleasurable. And I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I want to just simply say that it's obviously pleasurable for a man, but it's also supposed to be pleasurable for a woman. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's been sexually abused or molested in any way or where there's domestic violence. Please hear that. But, I mean, let's face it. God is so good that he actually created a pleasure spot on a female body only meant for pleasure. 
Okay, I mean, it doesn't help with telephone reception. It's not going to help with, you know, with other stuff. I can't believe I just said that. Erase that. Is this being taped? I'm so sorry that Jim and Kathy Burns couldn't come, but it was so good that Dave Burns, I'm Dave Burns, and my wife Leslie's coming up in a minute. But the point that I want to say, truly, is that sex is meant to be pleasurable, but God created that. And so why do we give him such a raw deal with this? See? Now, he has boundaries. He says in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 14, do not commit adultery. Is that because he's the great killjoy or is it because he wants the best for you? Do you know people who've had adulterous relationships in this size of an audience? There'd be people who've had an adulterous relationship. It blows up relationships. It blows up families. And he's, he, he puts those boundaries in a place, not because he's the killjoy, but he's looking out for you. See? 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is not just about adultery, but it's about fornication. And so this is what we would say to our kids and think about for our kids. And it says, it is God's will for you that you would be sanctified. So in other words, sanctification means to be set apart, that you would be sanctified, that you would avoid sexual immorality. It doesn't say avoid sex. It actually says avoid sexual immorality. Same reason, because God wants the best for you. He went on to say, scripturally, the Lord you know, says to us, other scriptures. And, you know, as we look at some of these other scriptures, one of the ones that are, I think, one of the most fascinating ones, and then I'm going to get to one last one, and then I'm going to bring Kathy up in a minute. But one of the scriptures that I think is so, so critical, I had it here and it went out, is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. And it says, flee from sexual immorality. There's that word again. Actually, the word is a Greek word, immorality. It means Pornia. It's actually translated fornication in like the King James. And it's the same root word. Fornication, interesting. Pornography is the same root word in, in the Greek, and, but it's translated correctly in the immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't flee from sex. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of their body, but he or she who sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you who you've received from God? So in other words, we're to treat our spouses, we're actually to treat the opposite sex as you know, a, cherished, you know, a cherished child of God because you know, the Holy Spirit of God. And, and if we would have taught, been taught this earlier, we might not have some of the stuff that even goes in our head in terms of treating the opposite sex as a sex object. I had the most beautiful conversation Kathy and I did at dinner with these people who were just wonderful. And my job is to see these beautiful women as sisters in Christ. And so it's a discipline factor, but we have a generation of kids who's not being raised that way, but a lot of us weren't either, see. And so that's, there's a safeguard here that we're to do that. We're to treat them with a radical respect. And then it says, who is in you, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom you've received from God, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. What's the price? The price is Christ dying on the cross. And what do we do with that? Therefore, honor God with your bodies, see. That's part of what I call the, the purity code. There's a whole purity code within Scripture. And I think it involves several things. One is it involves honoring God with your body, renewing your mind for good. By far the most powerful sex organ is not your private parts, it's your mind. It's turning your eyes from worthless things. That's Psalm uh, uh, 119, 38. And guarding your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. So I just gave you a, a theology of healthy sexuality, but let me use the verse that you know, is going to be kind of our key verse tonight. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, next, it's going to come, go to uh, 
First, or, uh, Matthew 19, four through six. So it's not on there. So Matthew 19, four through six says this. Uh, and is it in your notes, by the way? Okay, no. well, you're getting the whole theology of sexuality on that. It says this. It, it's Jesus, and I'm gonna summarize it. He's actually summarizing the Old Testament. And I actually kind of referred to this last night. But a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that scripture is about sex. People sometimes say, well, Jesus didn't speak about sex. Yes, he did. When he talks about two becoming one flesh, he's actually talking about sexual intercourse. And so what we have to understand is that you know, there's another part of oneness, but this is not just some overly spiritual thing. When two people become one, the word there, you become united. And when you become united, the, the Greek word is actually a little closer to the word bonded. This is why I'm concerned about premarital sex and cohabitation, all that, because you become bonded to somebody that you're not married to. Okay. And so the more bonding that takes place, the harder it is to unbond as you kind of come together with the one that you've chosen to live with for the rest of your life. So again, that says that you become one flesh. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scripture that two people become one. And that's really what we're talking about with romance, but where it gets confusing is relationships, because relationships can get messy. And so, what I think is important for us to do is to learn how to develop sexual intimacy. No one teaches us this stuff right before we're going to get married. You know, so I have a series, I have a book and a workbook and an app that's called Getting Ready for Marriage, and 25,000 people are using it right now in terms of premarital stuff, and some churches use it and all that. And guess what? They get one shot at the sex talk, and it's usually kind of awkward for the pastor to, to do or the counselor who's ever doing it. And yet we who are married also need to remember that we always have to be developing uh, sexual intimacy. So I want Kathy to come up and talk about what some of the primary issues are, and then I'm gonna come back and I'll uh, and talk about some more. Okay, I just have a question here because you've been so serious, so <laughs> let me change this a little bit. But today we went on a walk, which was really fun, and... Uh... <laughs> She's gonna burn on me, I can feel it. <laughs> We um, went on a walk, and we even stopped and talked to different people and everything, and we get back to the room, and I go to take off my sweatshirt, and my cup of coffee that was almost empty but still had a little bit in it, he had put in the hood of my sweatshirt. I had no idea, because he got tired of carrying it or something. So um, anyway, so I had coffee down the back of my sweatshirt in my not. hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so thought, I just wanted to know if that was honoring, like, you know, that I thought person. it was kind of, <laughs> frankly, I thought it was kind of foreplay for what could happen sometime soon. Then you see, he goes, well, yeah, I always do that. If I get tired of carrying things, I just put them in my hood. It's a, if you're on a hike and I've got a sweatshirt, I just put it on there and then I can walk free. I just figured it would be good for her, but she didn't think so. Yeah. I'm still, I can tell I'm in trouble. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay, so developing... You do smell like coffee. Don't you? No, you don't. <laughs> well, good thing you like that smell. You took okay. a shower. You didn't. <laughs> um, so if there is no... And this, we are in the notes here. But if there's no emotional intimacy or connection, there will be little interest in sexual intimacy. And so it's absolutely necessary to have that um, emotional connection. And um, we can have sex, but not have an emotional connection. And, um, 
You know, I mean, we all know that. And there, um, Jim sometimes quotes from the movie Pretty Woman where the prostitute talks about this and says that she will have sex with her clients, but she would not kiss them. And, you know, because it's way too intimate. And I'm thinking, but even more, she wouldn't have a, an emotional connection with them. She wouldn't, you know, be telling them about her fears or her hopes or her joys. And, you know, just to, that's how we grow closer together, is, is sharing those things. And then, and then the, the physical should naturally flow from that um, if we have a healthy marriage. And then as much as possible... This kind of goes probably into the, um, well, actually, I want to say something else here. Um, well, if you don't have time to talk, that's what's important. You won't have time for physical intimacy. So if we're too busy, and we've been talking about this since Friday, is just to not be um, so busy that we don't have time to talk with each other. And to just be aware of that, to remember, to be intentional. This goes all back to the being intentional, to um, making those um, special times where you connect. And then that will help um, lead to the physical intimacy. Yeah. No. I mean, basically what we're trying to say, and uh, again, we think women do oftentimes a better job than men, but there's a real need for uh, emotional connection. And one of the things that I'm saying these days, it's not in any of the writings yet, but, um, but I honestly believe that women and men look at sexuality different. And I think a, a man feels emotionally connected when he has sexual intercourse. That's when he feels emotionally connected. A woman needs to feel emotionally connected to have sexual intercourse. And so that makes it a little bit goofy because we look at it differently. Neither is right or wrong, but a woman needs to kind of have her it together. You know, life needs to be good and, you know, the dishes quite possibly need to be done. Not every time, and I'm not saying every woman, but I am saying that sometimes we need things kind of straightened out before we can, before a woman can enjoy that. But a man will find his emotional connection through the sex act sometimes. So, Jim, you know, and that's a really good point. You said that and everybody kind of laughed, but yeah. I just read this What, the dishes? Yeah, yeah, no, really. I just read this article, and it especially pertained to women who work outside of the home, but um, it was talking about the stress in women's lives. Yeah. And it was saying a huge stressor for women, most women, is clutter. You know, and you think, well, you know, what's the big deal? For men, it really, truly is not as big a deal most of the time. I know this is generalizing, but this article was even explaining why that is. So if you have a woman who works all day and then comes home to all this clutter, it's like really stressful and it's hard to relax. Right, it's hard right. to let down. It's hard to sometimes yeah. go there because you're still, your mind is right, in right. all these other things. Right. And so. it's much easier for a man to Typically, and, and part of that is a sex drive, part of that is libido. You know, with, mm -hmm. if you get into libido, which, which literally means sex drive, a man's sex drive is sometimes different than a woman's, now, in about 80% of the cases. And so it's important for us to know that if we're going to develop sexual intimacy, because I have to understand that her needs and even her emotional needs are different than my needs and my emotional needs. So it can't just be what happens on a honeymoon. It has to actually be, you know, kind of meeting each other's needs. When Kathy said talk, sometimes we actually even have to talk about our physical life. There are half the people in this room who never talk about physical intimacy. 
And yet you've got some things that you might be harboring or thinking or worrying about, yeah. but that's too emotional to go to there or too intimate to go there. And yet what I'm saying is when you have those kind of conversations and there is empathy and understanding and a working together, that it's going to enhance the spiritual intimacy. I, I, I'm not talking about fireworks here. I'm talking about intimacy, which is much more than fireworks. You can have fireworks by yourself, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm serious. So what I'm saying is that's not going to help your relationship. Okay, and so, you know, that is something that I think is important. And Kathy mentioned kissing because she talked about the, the uh, illustration from that movie. But, you know, you can tell a lot about kissing. You can tell a lot about your relationship by kissing for a lot of people, okay? And, you know, we believe in what we call the 15-second kiss. And so all while our kids were growing up, when I would leave the house or if Kathy would leave before me, we'd try to do the 15-second kiss, not that we counted it, but, but saying, you know, I'm not kissing my grandma with a 15-second kiss. I'm not kissing anybody else with a 15. And even if I was kind of frustrated with her at the time, we would do that. I think there's certain times when you leave each other, when you come back, if you, you know, when, there's, when you come back, you know, it's, and there are times when our kids would kind of go, Mom and Dad, get a room, come on. Well, mm -hmm. we weren't trying to do anything inappropriate, but what we wanted them to see was that, no, that's an important part of a healthy relationship. But you can tell a lot about a couple sometimes by the way that they kiss. Now, there's two other things on developing intimacy or developing uh, sexuality, and then I want to have her go back to a couple of important things. Okay. What, number one is develop your pro develop uh, or handle, let me say it this way, handle your problems mm -hmm. with care and counsel. Remember I said a phrase where there is no counsel the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety? When you begin to look at hindrances to a healthy romantic relationship, to a healthy sexual relationship, sometimes there are issues. It could be that the woman's not fully enjoying a climax uh, very often. It could be that the man does, has premature ejaculation. Those are two of the most common that uh, Cliff and Joyce Penner would talk about, who are kind of the sex therapists of the world. They've probably been up here. And, um, but there's other issues. It could be uh, you know, ED, whatever the issue is. What I'm saying is these are not uncommon but it's like we're too embarrassed to talk to somebody, but I got news for you, there's easy help there. I mentioned Cliff and Joyce Penner, who are some people that we've spent quite a bit of time with in terms of just you know, in speaking at conferences together and things like that. And they're kind of like the sex therapist experts. She's actually a nurse and he's a, he's a therapist. You probably <coughs> took them at school, at school at Fuller. And they're beautiful, wonderful people, but they have books that could even help you. When Kathy and I first got married, we didn't know, we didn't have a clue, and we actually, it wasn't the Penners, but we listened to some tapes on a drive one time and went, oh my gosh, there's other people who have this. We didn't even know was, we were having experiences. But if you do have experiences, don't let that go. People have told me that they've struggled with things for 40 years when it's actually kind of a simple um, deal for, for many. Not, not everything is simple, but a lot of it is. Also, you know, continue to, to keep learning after all these years in terms of what meets the need of your spouse mm -hmm. and ever so often kind of have an adventure. And I'll let you kind of talk a little bit more about that kind okay, of stuff. Okay. I'm probably going back to, um, okay. in your notes, I believe it said, um, um, if that, well, going back to the very beginning, when we talk about emotional intimacy, one thing I did want to say that I think is really important is that um, to look at what if there's any blocks to that physical intimacy that um, you need to be dealing with. And some of that, like Jim said, could be unresolved issues from the past. It could be um, 
dealing with um, hidden hostilities. Maybe it even goes to what we were talking about earlier today about communication and conflict and how we're dealing with things and if we're dealing with them in a healthy way. Do we um, attack the other person and then flee, you know, flee to the house or just flee to, you know, the TV or the computer or whatever it is? Or uh, do we bury the problems? Some of us are really good at that, where we just kind of don't deal with it. And we, just, we just push it down. And um, a verse that um, I think goes with this that we all know, but just to think about in this terms, is Ephesians, again, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about it like that our marriage has these walls of protection around it. And when we let anger take, take charge and we don't deal with it, we're like, we're giving the devil a way to get in and to knock down those walls. And I think that weakens our marriage, obviously, but also, and it can cause it to crash, but it can even just keep us from connecting physically. And so that leads that way. So I think it's really important to deal with that. So you want me to keep No, you keep going. Okay. And um, then uh, further down on that list, it says, um, oh gosh, Jim, I don't see it. Well, I just wanted to make sure I was going with what you guys have. But um, I wanted to say that sex begins in the morning. It's an all-day event. So to be thinking about how we're treating each other um, through the day, how we greet each other, how we are talking to each other, how when I'm doing something in the kitchen, he comes by and touches me and just, just lets me know that he values me and lets me know that um, I'm important. And we're not just running off in our different directions immediately. Because it's so easy to do that, right? Because we're so we're busy, but it's you know this is the person that we're married to that we've chosen to live with that God put us together, and so just um, to remember that, and that it's so it's an all-day event. It's not just 20 minutes in the bedroom at the end of the day when you're both maybe exhausted, and um, so just to think about that, and then going to if we're too tired. And I think it says, I'm too tired means you have your priorities in the, wrong, in the wrong place. And we've talked a lot about priorities, about overwork, and helping to take the load off of each other. You know, I am, it's very interesting having our grandkids live with us because I'm reliving those days and I'm going, oh, wow, I remember just how exhausted you are because these little ones are so needy. And... Um, you know, sometimes by the end of the day, you're really tired and don't have that energy. And I do understand why people have children when they're younger. I definitely get that now. <laughs> um, but if um, help each other carry the load with the kids, um, with the house, extended family too. And maybe some of you are in this place, but we have had to deal with um, sick parents, elderly parents, needy parents, um, all kinds of things. We went through a season with my mom where I would work, and then I'd go straight to my mom's. We had moved her down by us, and every single day, I was, I was, I called myself, I was her assisted living. She didn't live in assisted living. I was her assisted living. And um, 
it really meant a lot to me to have him just be supportive of me through that, to help in any way he could at home, but just to know that we were in this together. And I mean, obviously, sometimes you just get tired and frustrated at each other or whatever, but you just, you know, to keep working at that. Um, what else? Oh, finances. That's another thing, is that um, to not make that... Um, an excuse where sometimes finances can just cause problems and it can end up being um, like an excuse, like, oh, we can't, we can't even connect because we have all these issues right now. To, that's why it's important going back to the business meeting and taking that time and um, just trying to keep some of that business of life separate a little bit from your relationship. Not separate, really, but just that it has its place so it's not overflowing everywhere you are. And in the bedroom, too, obviously. Um, kids don't have to spoil the romance. They definitely um, cause a little more complications. But I would say to you know find ways in this new season of your life how to still connect to each other. Remember that you were a couple first before you were a parent. And um, a lot of times, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, we've seen this, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen it, where it becomes such a child-focused marriage that it ends up not being a marriage after a while, and people fall apart. Um, so just, just to think about that, that you were a couple first, and to share babysitting with people if money is a problem, or even if it's not, to find ways. And I loved what Trent said about that they didn't have the extended family around or the grandparents, and they found these people that would love on their kids. And we did that too, because we really didn't have that too much either. And it's so important. And not even just empty nesters. Even we'd find younger couples who didn't have children yet who, to them, it was fun. It was like an adventure, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great birth control, too. <laughs> so, um, and then cheap dates are okay, and we've talked um, a lot about that. But just finding ways that you can spend this time to, with each other, and you can, um, you can, you know, it can be going, like for us, it's going for a walk down by the harbor, by the beach, which is always... So um, soul-filling for us personally, but also soul-filling for our marriage. And I think sometimes you can just connect better with getting out of the house and away from looking at the clutter or dealing with whatever with the kids or whatever it is. So um, I think that it's good to just keep that in mind and to be creative. And um, even to the point of having adventures, and we have um, sometimes, like, had campouts in our backyard. We went through the season where we went camping with our family, but we um, sometimes would set up the tent in our backyard, and it would just be our, our date by ourselves without, without the kids. I don't know if we slept there all night, though, did we, ever? I think we you're just... afraid of spiders. Oh, <laughs> spiders. Yeah. But anyway, enjoyed looking at the stars or whatever. Um, Love having, I mean, you can tell we're really more the outdoors people. We loved having picnics at, you know, by the beach or if there's a local park that's really pretty, something like that. Love to hike anytime, love to bike ride, 
things like that. Um, some people really have loved like doing a cooking class together, and it just creates a fun thing to do, or dancing. We know people that have done that, if you're into that. But I just say to always be looking for new adventures to have with each other, to make it fresh, you know? Because when you've been married, like, you know, 20 years, 30 years, 45 years, it's important to keep it fresh and to find ways to do that. So um, I would say that's important. And then, oh, one other thing with babysitting. Um, well, actually, I'm going to back up here. We've, we've mentioned this, but I'd say it's really, I think, really good to totally get away from the kids, the house, your jobs, whatever it is, for um, a couple days, at least a couple times a year. So if you think of it like two weekends, I mean, some people work on weekends, so it has to be another day, but I'm just saying a couple of days getting away, it just works miracles for relationships. And there's ways to do that, even if you go, well, we can't afford that, we can't do that. You know, there's always a reason. I would say find somebody who lives in another area that maybe is cooler than yours and see if they want to trade houses mm -hmm. ever. That's one way you could do that if you couldn't afford a hotel. Um, finding and trading babysitting, you know, with another couple, that if that's the problem. And the other thing is when our kids were little, um, we even, our, our youngest had major heart problems. So we had a season where we were kind of, you know, fearful about leaving and, and whatever. And so the, I remember, I don't remember how old they were, but they were pretty young. We stayed a mile and a half from our house. There was a, there's an inn in town called Blue Lantern Inn, I, and loved it, would always walk by it, and we decided to stay there this one time. And it was just one night, and we went to dinner at this great Italian restaurant, but it was so fun, it was so romantic. And, I, and because we were close to home, I didn't have that fear, because I knew that if there was a problem, we could get home in five minutes. So anyway, that's just another... Thing to think about. Yeah. That. So what Kathy's just done is given you a lot of good ideas. And sometimes what we'll do is brainstorm with people just to let you, you know, but, but don't do the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. going to dinner is great and going to a movie mm -hmm. is great, but if you do it every time, then that's going to get, you know, do something different. Do the kind, some of the things that she was talking about. Make it special. Put some energy into that. It's going to help your romance like crazy. So, so, so good stuff. Another aspect of developing intimacy is you got to have sex, okay? Now, again, when it comes to libido, it doesn't mean that you have, uh, you know, some people say, you know, it would be great to have sex every night. Some people would say uh, once a month. I mean, it really is different. I totally understand that. But what we've found with couples who are struggling is that what they may need to do is schedule their sexual intimacy. This sounds so unromantic, I know. But if you're not doing well, maybe you need to schedule it. So my story is this. I was speaking in Honolulu. I speak a lot on teaching your children healthy sexuality, so that's one of the topics in, at this convention that I was at. And two people were sitting having breakfast with me. One is a guy who's a very well-known pastor uh, in the South, and he was going to speak that day, and his wife and I know them, and I speak at their church sometimes. And so I'm you know, just eating with them, and we're talking, and we're talking about their five kids. And all of a sudden, his wife said, I'm going to go to your seminar. We, we, uh, you know, we really need this with our kids. But also, you know, something's happened in our life that's really been great. We schedule sex. We have sex every Wednesday. At this point, this pastor, who's a well-known guy, kind of stops in midterms and goes, I can't believe 
you just told Jim Burns that we have sex every Wednesday night. I get a smile on my face, and I said, Wednesday night? And he goes, yep, yeah, why Wednesday night? I said, don't you guys have a Bible study? He speaks to 2,000 people every Wednesday night. I've spoken at his place. I go, isn't he a little busy? And, uh, you, and she said, well, you know how long-winded he usually is? He's never long-winded on Wednesdays anymore. <laughs> and and t- Kathy said, sex starts in the morning. When I heard her first say sex starts in the morning, I'm like, yes, this is great. <laughs> I didn't mean she just said it starts because you're supposed to rub her back as you walk by. Um, but what, for them, they'll roll over in bed and they'll say, it's Wednesday. <laughs> and then his assistant reads every bit of mail. And so she'll just type and say on an email, honey, it's Wednesday. You know, they actually even changed their bedroom where it had a, you know, their computer and all this stuff, and they moved it out. Laundry, it's okay. moved out. Good. They put on some, you know, some places where they had candles and more music and, you know, whatever. They really got serious about this stuff. And they started having sex. And I said to both of them, I said, isn't that, was it weird? Is it weird to like go, okay, it's Wednesday? You know, when you're not in the mood or you haven't, and, and he goes, you know, it was weird for the first time, but from then on, it's been great. <laughs> and so... What I'm saying is, is if you need to schedule it, schedule it. I mean, that's not unromantic, actually. Because what happens? You bond when you have physical intimacy. So it's something to look forward to. In fact, I mentioned the word dopamine the other day, or whenever it was, yesterday, this, last night or this morning. And actually, the dopamine that gets you excited because you're having a sexual experience, it actually gets you excited looking forward to having that experience. So sometimes the looking forward is a good thing, see? And so, you know, make that happen. We have some friends named Randy and Susan, and Randy had heard us talk about, you know, scheduling sex on Wednesday. And so one time they're at dinner, they live in Newport Beach, and, and they're at dinner at Muldoon's, and he said, do you know what tonight is? And she goes, what? She goes, it's Wednesday. She goes, oh my gosh, it's American Idol. We got to get going, because she was really into American Idol. He had other things in mind, see? But again, going back to that, sometimes you have to work at it and sometimes scheduling. One other thing about developing sexual intimacy, and I think this is a key one, is the road to safe emotional and physical intimacy always goes through purity and fidelity. So let me bring up two things quite quickly. Number one is emotional affairs. So the person that you're sitting with is the person that you want to have the, the, the deepest relationship, obviously. But if you're putting energy into someone else, for example, if you're thinking about what you wear, but it's not for your spouse, but you know, somebody at work, or you're sharing secrets with them that you're not sharing with your spouse, you're actually sometimes even developing a deeper spiritual relationship with someone. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Then you've gotta, you've gotta, you're crossing a line. And that may not lead always to adultery, but it's, it's passing purity and fidelity quite quickly. If you're beginning to fantasize being with them, or even fantasize, not even in a sexual way, but fantasize, fantasize what would it be like to be with that person, etc. That's emotional affairs. And most people have emotional affairs at one time in their relationship. And that should be red flags, not just yellow flags, but red flags. So for example, in our life, we have some pretty deep boundaries, meaning there's some travel in my life, and I know this sounds, and some people will disagree with this, but I kind of go with the Billy Graham rule where I don't have a woman pick me up. It doesn't mean that if a woman picked me up you know, from the airport that you know, all of a sudden you know, we'd be embracing. It's that I don't allow any of that to happen because I might have that, that woman might say something that's not true, my, and I'm done. 
see. But also with Kathy, she knows and can feel comfortable that I'm not having meals with the opposite sex. Um, there, I, I have some pretty strong boundaries. I'm, I'm not saying what your boundaries are. I'm just simply saying that I don't want to get into that. So I set some pretty deep boundaries. So then if, I, if the line ever did get crossed, then I could call her. You know, I've got the, you know I'm, I'm just want to tell you, I'm on my way to the, uh, from the airport, and this really nice person named so-and-so is picking me up. And she kind of understands that they sort of didn't get the message on what was going on. And that, that's better. So emotional affairs. The other thing is pornography. And let me just bring it up. And I know that a lot of times now, that's what we talk about. There's a men's conference. I'm sure they're talking about pornography with those men. But I think pornography is something that can take this generation down for kids. But I also think it's something that can take the generation down uh, for older people as well. And when I say that, there would be people who, who have struggled with this. By the way, the greatest new users of internet pornography are boys ages 12 to 17, and girls are right behind them. The first time they, this generation of kids will see pornography is age 11. And it's the death of innocence. Your kids are seeing pornography. But even with you all, if you, if you catch yourself in, with pornography, it's called false intimacy. And that's not going to develop the kind of physical intimacy that you want. So I'm not here to slap your hands. I'm just simply here to say there's something better and get the help that you need. Because truly, there is help for you if you're struggling in that area. Now here, men tend to be very visual. And so we always focus on the man, but women, younger women, are kind of right behind men in terms of using pornography, but what are they? They are more into intimacy and connection, so theirs might be, uh, their name is Jennifer, and now they say they're lindsay at gmail.com, and they're having conversations. That's almost deeper. Women read Fifty Shades of Grey, not men. So that's their <laughs> pornography. So what I'm saying here is it's an issue for all of us. And if we go in that route, then that's a path that is not purity and it's not fidelity. And it doesn't help with, with uh, deepening your, your physical intimacy and your sexual intimacy. And so get help, okay? So all grace here, but at the same time, you, if you keep going in that direction, you're not going to have deep, uh, heck, healthy physical intimacy. You know, back off of that. Now... There's one other thing, and, and we'll close with this, but I want to take you to the Song of Solomon. And, uh, you know, there's whole, uh, we, you know, we could come up here and do a whole series on the Song of Solomon. In fact, in refreshing this marriage, I'm using a different scripture than the one I'm going to share with you. But um, God, I don't believe, wants your physical intimacy to be mediocre. I think he wants it to be deepened, and he's so passionate about it that actually in the the scripture, the Song of Solomon, um, it is deeply sexual in nature. And there's some seduction scenes, and I'm, I want to read a beautiful seduction scene between a husband and a wife, okay? It's going to come up on the board. And, he, and Solomon is speaking first to Terza, and we'll get to Terza in a minute, but it says, to me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Don't call your wife a mare. That's not going to work. But in that day, one, he praised her. But watch a seduction scene here. Two, he said, my darling. Now, the word in Hebrew is called raya, and it really isn't darling. We don't have the word. He's basically saying, to you, my intimate sexual partner. So he's bringing it up, and he's using a word that basically says, I hope we can you know, have some physical intimacy. 
I mean, truly, that's what his intention is, and he's doing it with praise. He then continues to pour on the praise and says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of beads. He probably gave her those strings of beads. I doubt if it was cheap, uh, what do you call it? Sea glass. Um, we will make, but maybe that, if that works, do it. We will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. So he's pouring on praise, and he's actually giving her a gift. It doesn't have to be an expensive gift. Solomon was the richest and wisest man in the world, so he could do that. But notice that he, gave a, he was giving a gift of, and making a promise to her. Go on to the next one. It then goes on to say, while the king was at his table, now Terza, Terza, by the way, in, in Hebrew means woman, but it's his wife. My perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breast. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, there's all kinds of connotations. This is why it's great to, for you to sit under your pastor. I am not your pastor here, and I'm not pastoring. I'm not doing much Bible study, actually. But there's some great stuff to understand. First of all, it says, while the king was at his table, and the, the table is they were having dinner, and the dinner would take about three hours. And a lot of times, dinner was more of a seduction scene in a beautiful way. So this is more of a, what they call a divan. You're kind of leaning there, and she might have even been helping him uh, by feeding him some. And it says, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. The word for perfume here is not the term that we typically use for prefer perfume. It's, the, it's actually nard. <laughs> And you know it's kind of interesting because Nard is a total aphrodisiac in the Middle East. And so what she's saying is, I am putting something on that can cause us to have some relationship. She's initiating sex. And it's fascinating because when you ask men, what are one of the things that you appreciate about your wife, it's when she initiates, when she, when she says, I want you. Now I realize that mainly it's when a man, a man, men initiate but women, I want you to know that your men would probably say this, and you can ask them tonight. You know, if I ever initiate, what about having some time together physically? That absolutely gets them thrilled. And if you would say that in the morning, that guy can hardly work, and he will be home early. I'm just telling you that. But she does that by saying the word perfume. Now, it goes on to say, my beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh which lies all night between my breasts. Now, remember this. They didn't bathe every day. In fact, even the richest only bathe a few times in a year at times. So, you know, there could be a smell there. And so what they would do is what she's saying is, I have myrrh between my breasts right now, which means I'm going to smell good for you. And frankly, sometimes we do need to clean up. See? But what she's doing is, she is she's doing as much initiation as he was. And uh, then it says, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms. And henna blossoms, again is an aphrodisiac. See, we don't know this. I don't know this. I have to read this in commentaries. And that's, again, why we want to know what is going on here. And then it says, in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, I heard somebody, I overheard a conversation. Somebody went to Israel just recently. Is that right in here? Somebody just went to Israel. How many of you have been to Israel? Okay, look at this. A lot of you, okay. So you've probably been to Engedi. You're driving down the road. On the left-hand side is the Dead Sea, which is kind of a famous sea. And then you turn right, and there's no vegetation, there's nothing there, you're out in the desert. Actually, in Gedi is where the, the, the caves are. It's actually partly where the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls no, are Qumran. from. Huh? Qumran. Yeah, Qumran. Oh, yeah. And where the Dead Sea Scrolls are, the Qumran is right at kind of in Gedi. And then you drive for a little bit, and all of a sudden there's this waterfall, and there's, there's uh, a little, you know, not only the waterfall, but there's some exotic birds, there's beautiful trees. It's an oasis. 
And see, we don't, ha- this is like an oasis. Kathy and I were walking around Mount Hermon going, oh my goodness, I mean, how incredible is this? But this is a true oasis because you're in the middle of nothing, and then you come into this place that's an oasis. And she uses the term here in Getty. And what I want to say is your physical relationship and your physical intimacy is meant to be an oasis. Do you ever look at your physical relationship with your spouse as an oasis where, you know, it's kind of the, the place, by the way, where God um, really, I think, helps you understand that he desires you to have relief and refuge from the busyness of life. And that's what physical intimacy is meant for. It's much more than procreation. It is that, but because of the pleasure nature and because of the intimacy that takes place, it's really more of an oasis. And Engedi is the great illustration. So remember, the purpose of Engedi is to give rest and restoration um, to your soul and to each other. And there is a marriage soul. How's your marriage soul? Mm-hmm. Say. Now, uh, I have a friend, and uh, uh, she's a, a, a Christian speaker and actually quite a well-known Christian speaker, pretty incredible woman. Some of you would like you know, know and read her books and love what she does. And her husband, who is a great guy, is more of an engineer and more of the, um, you know, he, she, I mean, it's, it's funny, we kind of are like I'm, like, I'm more like this woman where, you know, she's kind of outgoing and a little goofy and, you know, then her husband's solid and Kathy's solid and I'm a little more outgoing and goofy, same kind of thing. But we had talked about this in Getty. He had, he'd heard me talk about in Getty and he wrote me something and I want to read to you some of this because I think it's really profound. I'm going to change the name because I would never want to, I would want to honor the privacy of this family. But he said several months ago, Lorraine, that's not her name, was emotionally and physically exhausted after a weekend of speaking. That sort of happens. I knew she needed a getaway to Engedi, so I decided to create an environment that would help her relax. So this is kind of, you know, he's more nerdy, not that I'm calling her nerdy, but he's more nerdy, and yet he was going to go about this. And what was cool about it is he said, he, he wrote and said, you know, I created an oasis for her. And um, what he did was he arranged 25 scented candles. That's a lot of work. You know, most of us guys have never done that. We maybe have lit one candle. But he arranged 25 candles, and then he put a, a plate of cheese and uh, hot spi- cider, and he put on some music in the bathroom, and he created bubble bath, and he closed the door, and he wrote the words in Getty. And so then he brings her up, and he challenges her to take off her clothes, and she's like, I am not, talking about exhaustion, I am not in the mood right now. And uh, anyway... He said, no, I'm not going to touch you. And then he opened the door, and there was her in Getty, and she was like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. And he let her go. He said, like, you know, for a long time. And she bathed, you know, in, these bubble ba- in the bubble bath and, you know, enjoyed all of the beauty of this. And then he said it worked because she had enough energy for him later, but that's another story, okay? <laughs> but what I want to say is, he created an Engedi experience. It's a defining moment, see. And I'm not sure we spend enough time creating beautiful Engedi experiences. Now, again, we don't go from Engedi to Engedi to Engedi. But is ever your physical relationship an oasis that restores your relationship? I think part of, and I'm just guessing, because. You know, the Bible talks a lot about sex, like I said, but it doesn't necessarily talk about this, but is it possible that God created our sexual relationship to be an oasis for us? 
for rest and restoration and beauty, see? And sometimes we have to you know, make that happen. First Samuel 24 speaks of En Gedi as David's stronghold and a safe place where he and his men hid from the enemy. It was safe, it was intimate, it was beautiful. I want you to have an oasis and build an En Gedi where it's safe, intimate, and beautiful. En Gedi is a place where there is renewal and our physical needs are met, yes, and satisfied, but it's also a place where our emotional and our spiritual needs are met. So tonight, as we conclude, what we're talking about here is something much more than doing it. The world talks about fireworks and trying this and that out and whatever. What I'm saying is, oh, no, no, no. Don't settle for the world's standard. Settle for physical intimacy that was created by God that is pleasurable and is beautiful and is intimate and only something that you do with your spouse. Make that special. And if you're struggling, then don't freak out about it. But actually, if you need to get the help, get the help. If there's some past issues in your past, then what did we say? Ruthlessly be honest about your own brokenness and, and work through it. But what I'm saying is we as Christians should be the people who are the sexiest, and we should be the people who are the most deeply, you know, physically intimate and connecting. Okay? So kind of a different way to look at it tonight, but, but there we are. A man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. What God has brought together, don't ever separate. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for a chance to be able to speak about this, and Lord, may you speak to our hearts and to our minds as we think about the different aspects of physical intimacy. Lord, if there's people here who are struggling with this, or if there's people here who are struggling with deeper connection, may, may they find uh, their in Getty as they experience a deeper relationship emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. 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 Okay. There you go.